0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. Grab your Bibles, and we're, we're back in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the tomb, or the stone, rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, have you ever read that and wondered why in the world was it necessary to roll away the stone from the tomb? Like, was Jesus on the inside going, excuse me, I need a little help here. And So angels came down from heaven to let Jesus out. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Rather, I think it was to let us in. Uh, The stone was rolled away from the tomb to let us in. Um, We needed a little bit of evidence. Now, these these ladies who came to the tomb very early in the morning with spices prepared came to anoint a body. But that's not what they found, is it? They didn't find a body there. Stone was rolled away. Angels declared a message. Christ is not here. He's, He's risen. The stones rolled away, come look inside, come look inside. And listen, that's my invitation, I think that's God's invitation to you today. God's invitation to you today is the stones rolled away, come look. And and some of us, some of us were here today and maybe we've grown up in church and we just know that church is the thing that you do on Sundays, but, but you don't exactly know what church is all about. You don't, you don't really have a relationship with Jesus, but you know we're here on Easter because Christ is risen. Yes, yeah, sure, of course, and the Easter bunny and all that good news. But the stones rolled away, and I think God's inviting you take a look inside and see what you find. So I want to just point out some things in the scripture as we look into this. Verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, and I'm not gonna lie, if I was there, I'd have been perplexed too, right? I saw Jesus die. I saw him go into that tomb. I saw the stone rolled in front of that door. And that stone is not a little stone. That's a big stone. A couple tons, maybe. It was rolled there for security and protection. I saw it closed. And what's this mean? We're perplexed. Perplexed about it. And while they were perplexed, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground... The men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I want you to know anytime people have an encounter, either with the risen Christ or one of the angelic emissaries of God, they never go, Wow, this is incredible. But rather, they always fall down on their faces in terror, in fear of the Lord. And worship that angelic being. And this is what happens today. He says, now here's the first thing I want you to see is that the angel's message is confronting. The angel's message is confronting. Let Let me show you what I mean by that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked for the right thing in the wrong place? Men, let me talk to you for a second here. Have you ever opened the refrigerator door? Honey, where's the ketchup? If you're a man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've, looked in that ref- I've been in that refrigerator seven times today, but I still don't know where the Honey, where's the ketchup? I'm looking for the right thing, but I just can't seem to find it. I'm looking in the wrong place. Is it on the door? No, it's not on the door. And from the other room, my wife can go, it's on the third shelf on the right side toward the back. I don't see it. I don't know, guys. I have refrigerator blindness. I think we all have that when we're standing there. My wife will come in the room and she says, it's right there. It's right there. How would you not see it? See, what we're looking for the right things in the wrong place. And that's exactly the message of the angels today. Is They're looking for the right thing in the wrong place. Or maybe, at worst, they're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. They're, they're looking for a dead Jesus. And they say to them, why do you look for the living? Well, we're not. In fact, we came with burial spices. We're prepared for a funeral, not a live person. They're looking for the wrong thing. And they're looking in the wrong place. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, if Jesus is alive, what's the likelihood that Jesus is going to be in the cemetery in a tomb? Not very big, right? So they're, they're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. And that verse right there, that verse, in that verse alone, kind of pictures all of us. That oftentimes, at best, we're looking for the right thing in the wrong places, and at worst, we're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. If you follow the line of Scripture all through the Bible, you'll see that to be true. Genesis chapter 3, they look to a tree. Adam and Eve look to a tree to find satisfaction rather than to God who created them and is with them. All through the Bible, they look to a king. Oh God, we want a king so that we could be like all the other nations. We want a king to lead us, and a king to fight for us, and a king to go out to battle for us, and a king to rule over us. And God says, haven't you seen that I have been all of those things for you ever since Israel was formed? You're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, one of my favorite passages in Scripture says, My people have committed two great evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water at all. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. Anybody with me on a song reference? Saturday Night Live did a a, 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 a version of that song with Buckwheat singing it. It was per Pernub in all the wrong places, on all the wrong paces. Right? Looking, they're looking. For the wrong thing in the wrong place, and Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 nails it. You're looking for all the wrong things in all the wrong places. You're looking to the wrong cisterns. You're looking to cisterns that you have to fill that are dependent on something filling them rather than to the one who is the fountain of living waters. You're looking to the wrong places. That verse, why do you look for the living among the dead? Pictures us. Pictures us on this kind of um, ongoing... seeking and finding of our lives we're constantly looking and and that's just it we're looking for satisfaction we're looking for love we're looking for peace with god at times we're looking for joy we're looking for happiness and all of those things none of those things are bad all of those are good desires but the problem is not that we look for those things the problem is when we look for those things in the wrong places when we're looking for the living among the dead. Do you know that there are things that for the believer that only Christ can offer you? The, the dead can't provide those things for you. And, and if you're not a believer out there today and you're looking to the things of the world, these temporary things to provide for you, some deep down, uh, deep-seated joy and deep-seated peace and deep-seated love and you're looking to the world to provide something that only God has intended to provide for you, you're going to look for love in all the wrong places satisfaction in all the wrong places. And what's going to happen is, each one of those things is going to sooner or later let you down. Have you been let down before by the things of the world? You chose them to fulfill you, but those things only ended up leaving you in a deeper, darker spot than you started in the first place? You're hewing out cisterns that can hold no water and forsaking the fountain of living water. So you're looking for the living among the dead. That's what we're doing. I mean, just think about your prayer life. Think about your prayer life here for a second. What is the content of your prayers? Have you ever said to God, God, I would be happy if. If if I had a little bit more. I would be content if I had a little bit more. I'd be satisfied if I had this. If this were true, then I would be at peace. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I want you to know the content of our prayers often reveals what our actual saviors are. What our idols are. What the loves of our heart is. It's those things that we're praying for. God, if I had this, then I would be this. You're looking for the living among the dead. You're coming to God for what He can offer you rather than coming to God for who He is. You're coming to God for something temporary when God has something eternal to offer you. You're coming to Him in a graveyard looking for that which is alive. You're searching for the living among the dead. Are you one, have you wondered why you feel so down and depressed lately? It could be because you're looking for the living among the dead. You're looking for the right things maybe even or the wrong things, but you're looking for them right or wrong in the wrong places. I want you to understand today that as we jump in, continue through our scripture, that Jesus Christ is the only one who promises to fulfill you completely and forgive you completely. Jesus Christ is the only one who can offer that promise to you. He will fulfill your heart's desires, the deepest longings of your soul, yet when you fail Him, He will forgive you too. Who else offers that kind of promise? Second thing that I want you to see in this passage is the resurrection fulfills prophecy. The resurrection fulfills prophecy. I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, He is not here, but has risen. I just feel like every time I read that, I want to give myself a high five. Like, that's just amazing. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. Remember how he told you. Remember how he told you, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, it's a fulfillment of Jesus' words. At least three direct times in the book of Luke does Jesus point forward to his resurrection, not only his resurrection, but his, his betrayal, his abuse, his death, and his resurrection. At least three times in the book of Luke does he say, and I will rise on the third day, but they don't get it, but they don't get it. And some of us are like that. We've grown up so accustomed to Jesus that we miss out on who Jesus is and what He's going to do for you. You've grown up in as a part of the religion of Christ, yet you have never seen Christ for who He is. And today I want you to take a look inside the empty tomb and see. Come and see who Jesus is. It's not just a fulfillment of Jesus' words. It's also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Two specific times in the Old Testament. First, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. Some 700 years before Jesus is born, no, 1,000 years before Jesus is born, David, 1,000 years before Jesus is born, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. In other words, the psalmist is pointing forward to the Messiah who would not uh, be abandoned to Sheol and his body would not see corruption. How does a body who is going to die not see corruption? It only happens if the body is yet then raised. And then in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, there's a second very clear uh, moment that talks about how the suffering servant would be raised and experience life again. And it says this in Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, God, has put Jesus to grief. When his soul, when Jesus' soul makes an offering for guilt, how does Jesus make an offering for guilt? Dying. The cross. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall, then it goes on, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How are his days prolonged? How will he see his offspring if he stays in a tomb? He can't. These truths, these passages, Psalm, a thousand years before Christ is born. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ is born. Point forward to a day where Jesus would fulfill That He is, in fact, the Messiah who would die for the sins of men. That God would crush Him so that He wouldn't crush us. That Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. And that He would be raised for us so that we could also experience new life. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. The third thing that I want you to see is in verse 7, that the resurrection is necessary for salvation. The resurrection is necessary for salvation. He says... I'll read read verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Verse 7 says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. He says it must. The Greek word is a little uh, uh, um, word day, D-E-I, and it, it, it means it's necessary that Christ would do this. It is necessary. And if you look over, if you got your Bibles and you're opening your Bibles, look at verse 26. Verse 26, I don't have this on the screen, you're going to have to use the Bible in front of you. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? It's the same word. It's necessary. The resurrection is necessary for salvation. Most of us, when we say, how do you know that you're going to heaven? You say, Jesus died for me. That's not the end of the story. If Jesus didn't also raise from the dead for you, our hope would be lost. Our hope would be lost. If He only died for you, we'd still be in our sins. How do I know that? Well, if you want to use your Bible, flip in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 19. If not... I want you to read that later on, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 19. The beginning of chapter 15, Paul says something along these lines, I delivered to you what I received, I delivered it to you of first importance, that Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He rose on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes on in chapter 15 to talk about how there are six problems Six problems that if Christ was not raised from the dead, there are six problems that you and I have. The first problem, he says, is our preaching, my preaching, Paul says, is useless. It's vain. He also says your faith is in vain if Christ didn't raise from the dead. You thought to yourself, I never knew so much of my faith hinged on the resurrection. All of our faith hinges on the resurrection. He says our our preaching is useless. Your faith is in vain. He says our message is a lie. How could it be that I go and I'm literally paid to tell people that Jesus Christ died and rose again and if he didn't rise again, I am propagating a lie in the name of God and how sinful would that be if Christ had not raised from the dead. He says... Preaching's useless, your faith's in vain, our message is a lie. It's a fairy tale, that's all that it is, if Christ was not raised. It goes on, it says, if he was not raised, we're still in our sins. That's a problem, isn't it? And then he he ends two more, he says, those who died are in hell. If Christ was not raised, every person who's died is in hell. And that's your fate too, if Christ was not raised. (laughs) And he ends with, if Christ was not raised, of all the people in all the world, we are the ones who should be pitied most. But Christ was raised. I want to come to that in just a second because in verse 8 through 11, the fourth thing that I want you to see is the resurrection sounds like a, a, an idle tale. An idle tale. Look, verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. Verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, the mother, or, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. With them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, today, there are some of you in our midst who would say that seems like an idle tale. It seems like a fairy tale, a good uh, figment of an imagination. Makes a really good story, kind of like Sleeping Beauty, as it were. But it can't be true, can it? And I, I just want you to understand that if, if, If the disciples, those who followed Jesus around for three years and heard His words and saw His miracles and saw the very power of God, if the very disciples who saw all of those things were slow to believe, how do you think about us? Don't you think some of us are going to be slow to believe? I did not believe the gospel the first time I heard it. Maybe you didn't either. I mean... Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter one, I think we have it on the screen. He says, verse 18, for the word of cross, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. There and there's some there's some here who seem like the word of the cross, this idea of the cross is just foolishness. You mean to tell me that I'm a sinner? Number one, that's rude. <laughs> and you don't know me. Who are you to be my judge? Well, I'm not. The Word of God says that all have sinned. So I'm just declaring to you what the Word of God already is declaring to me. And number two, how narrow of a view is it that that if I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior and Jesus is the only Savior? And I just want you to look at every other religion known to man. Every other religion known to man Uh, looks at uh, the law or rules and says all right if I keep these rules then I'll be seen with good good grace and favor and all of these things and if I obey and if I work hard enough and if I struggle and if I climb maybe then maybe then I'll get into heaven but it's going to be because I pulled up my own bootstraps and don't tell me that I, I have to trust in somebody else to save me and I just want you to understand today that I've tried keeping all the rules have you It didn't go so well for me. The more rules I kept, the more I found that I broke. The the better I felt about myself at times, the worse I understood I actually was. Rules did not set me free. Rules held me in greater bondage. Rules did not bring me joy. But rather, they brought me despair. Despair. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And I just want you to to hear me say, listen, today there's an offer to you that Christ died to forgive your sins. That Jesus did everything necessary that you and I might be forgiven. He did it. I couldn't do it. Christ accomplished it for you. That's good news. And if you're trying to work your way into heaven, knock it off. Number one, it's not going to work. And number two, there's a better way. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of Jesus. He lived sinlessly, died as a sinner, as a sinner. He bore on the cross your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. Jesus was smitten by God and afflicted on the cross and crushed for our sins so that you wouldn't have to be, so that we could receive God's good favor. Jesus died the death that we deserve so we might get the reward that he did. And I I just need to confess to you, if you're struggling out there to believe that the word of the cross, the word of the resurrection, if you're struggling, I, I just need to say me too sometimes. When I think about what we actually believe, that Jesus is God who took on flesh and he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinner's death, and he did all these miracles, and that he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose from the dead, I say, wow, that is far off and difficult to believe. It is incredible and amazing. But just because it's far off and difficult to believe does not mean it's not true. Not all will believe the resurrection unless the Holy Spirit helps us. The resurrection is difficult, if not impossible, to, leave, to believe. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-two to verse twenty-four continues. He says, "For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified—a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God." Have you come to believe in Jesus that He died and rose on the third day uh, for your sins? Praise God. Praise God, but it's not because of the amount of your faith, because faith is called a gift according to the Word of God. Praise God that God said, I'm going to give Ryan the gift of faith. Don't lord that over people. Don't boast in your own faith. See, salvation doesn't promote pride, but rather humility and gentleness toward others who have not yet believed. If you've not yet believed out there, that's okay. Pursue Christ. Ask God. God, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Grant me the gift of faith. Some of you are going, Ryan, I just need to see some evidence. Uh, I'm out of order, Mr. James, but I have a quote up there from this man named Flavius Josephus. How many of you know who Flavius Josephus is? Like six of you. Okay, perfect. Flavius Josephus, um, he's from Seneca. Just kidding. Uh, He's a first-century Jewish historian. He was born uh, in 37 A.D., and he lived to 100 A.D. And uh, again, first-century Jewish historian. I'm going to read a part of the quote, and then you have the rest of the quote up here. It says, this is Flavius Josephus' words. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples, Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. Listen, this is what a Jewish historian in the first century wrote. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of the Christians so named after him has not disappeared to this day. That's not my words, but my buddy Josephus. All right, maybe something a little different. Chuck Colson said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because with Jesus, 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison, and killed. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate, on the other hand, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. See, one of the differences between Christianity, biblical Christianity, and every other, in quotes, religion known to man is we have an empty tomb. We have an empty tomb. And nobody has been able to produce a body. It would be that simple. It would be that simple. The last thing I want you to see in verse 12 is the cross and the resurrection is the most transforming power known to man. It's the most transforming power known to man. Verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Luke recalls that Peter was one of the first disciples to go back to the tomb. Mark tells us that the angels at the tomb had an additional message, and they said this. Mark recalls the angels' words, Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why is it that the, the angels mentioned by name only one of the disciples, or the apostles? Why is that true? It's because the, the message, the angelic message for Peter was a message of incredible hope and restoration. What had Peter just done the day before, or a couple days before, denied? His Savior three times. And the angel says, Go tell the disciples and Peter. You, th- you think you've sinned in a greater way than Peter did? It's the most transforming power known to man. It was. I mean, can you can you imagine the the hopelessness that Peter felt on Saturday? Can you imagine the despair? Can you imagine the shame that he felt for what he had done just 48 hours earlier? But the angel wanted Peter to know the message of Jesus' resurrection was for him too. It was for sinners too. So if you come in here and you say, well, I, that that Christianity thing is just for those who are... Righteous. No, it's it's actually exactly the opposite. It's those who know they're not. And so if you've come in here today and you know you're broken and you know you're full of shame and you know you're weak and you know you're a sinner, you're in the right place. Because the message of the cross is the most transforming power. The message of the resurrection is the most transforming power known to man. It is the resurrection of Jesus that empowered. Simon the fisherman who denied Jesus three times to act like Peter, the apostle of the early church. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the message of the angels that changed Peter. And I want you to know it can change your heart too. So what? And as I close, I want to give you three implications of the resurrection for you and for me today. And, and I, I stole these, like a good Baptist, I stole them from Lee Strobel, okay? So, just got to get that out there. Lee Strobel, three implications. Number one, Jesus is the unique Son of God, so His teachings are authoritative. First, He's the unique Son of God. That means that if the resurrection is true, you can't just be in the middle on the fence with Jesus. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is God incarnate and the Savior of the world, the one true Messiah. There's no middle ground. And some of us are trying to play middle ground with Jesus, and there is no middle ground with Jesus. To use Dabo's words, you either got to be all in or all out, because there's no middle ground. He's the unique Son of God. And we either need to crown him as king or crucify him as a heretic. there's no other choice. And if he's a unique son of God, that means his teaching is authoritative for who, for you. Well Ryan, I don't even believe the Bible. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's still authoritative in your life. And at the end of your days, you'll be held accountable, not to my thoughts about you, not to your mother's thoughts about you, not to whoever else's thoughts about you, but you will be held to what God's word says. That will be the standard by which we're judged. B, number two, Jesus lives so we can have a relationship with him. Jesus died and he rose because he wants you to come into a loving, living relationship with him. Ryan, that sounds way ooey-gooey. It is. I'm an ooey-gooey guy, and I just love the intimacy idea with Jesus. Well, that doesn't sound very manly. It's the most manly thing you'll ever know. Coming into a relationship with Jesus is exactly what every man needs to be a true man. It's exactly what every human being needs to be who God has called them to be. You need a relationship with Jesus like you need air that you breathe, like you need water, like you need the Easter lunch that we're about to go get. Glory, hallelujah. You need it. And he lives so you can live in a relationship with him. Three, Jesus overcame the grave. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you will too. Let me change what I just said. Jesus overcame the grave, and you will too. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will overcome the grave and spend eternity with Him in heaven. But if you're not, you will still overcome the grave, and you'll spend an eternity living separated from God, under His wrath. And I just want to encourage you today. Take a look inside the empty tomb. Christ is risen, and it has everything to do with our our daily walk. It has everything to do with our life. There are some of us in here who take that too lightly. As Christians, we just need to ask God for forgiveness. There are some of you, you've not let Jesus be your Lord. You have just wanted Him to save you. And let me tell you, He can't be your Savior if He's not your Lord also. So if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, it's time for you to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, as your King. And there are some of you, you, you've just thought this whole cross is foolishness, is folly. But today, there's an opportunity for you to, to have the deepest needs of your heart, the deepest longings of your soul satisfied. And when you fail him, you have one who will forgive you based on what he has accomplished for you. As we close, I want to offer that as an invitation. Uh, would you stand with me? Miss Margaret's going to come up and play. Christopher is going to lead us in a song as we sing and celebrate our risen Savior. But I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eye f- eyes for a minute. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to do business with the Lord. And if you've come in here today and, and, and you know that today you need to do something. Today you need to trust Jesus. Today you need to give Him your life. I'm going to ask you to be bold and do something you maybe have never done. And and this is not saving you, but this is just symbolic of you saying that I need Jesus. If this is you and you're in here today, uh, would you just slide your hand up and say, Ryan, I want to give my heart and my all to Jesus and I know that I need a Savior Would you just raise your hand, slide your hand up and say, that's me? I see your hand right there in the middle, brother. I see your hand back here. And I praise God for you. If that's you today, maybe you're still on the fence in this time of reflection and singing and worship of our risen Savior. Maybe you want to come and pray with me. You want to come and kneel at the altar you want to come and even ask some more questions, I'd love to sit with you. Father God, I pray for these friends and brothers and sisters and those who have raised their hand. Father, if there's any in this room who need Jesus and they've never trusted Him, Father, would you do a work by the Holy Spirit to call them call them by their name, give them the faith that they need to believe the, the cross is not folly, but it is the power of God for salvation and the wisdom of God for the world. Help them today. And for us, Father, may the cross and the resurrection be the centerpiece of all that we are and all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. As we sing, you respond.